when I was 18 years old, we went on our first all-inclusive vacation. First time on a plane, 747. And halfway through the flight, uh, first time for my dad to be on a plane too, so it was just like, whoa, awesome, for those of you that like planes. And halfway through, uh, one of the pilots came back and looked over at me and said, would you like to come into the cockpit for the remainder of the flight? This is a true story. <clears throat> like, like, Dad, can I? Like, I, I'm pretty rebellious at this time. I don't know why I'm asking for permission, but I'm looking over and they're all like, so sure enough, I like, right up to the front, buckle in, three pilots up there. Unbelievable experience. Unbelievable. Just the sheer power behind knowing that you were with these three pilots that were controlling this engine, or so they thought. And then seeing the paradise ahead of Cuba, like from that, as we leave the everlasting sun and go through the clouds to land, and I remember the pilot put a penny on this thing and he said, hey, Carrie, I'll teach you something. If he can land this plane without that penny falling, he did a good job. So I'm like, I don't even want to be distracted by the penny. Like, I don't really care about the penny right now. Like, this is too great. And sure enough, the, the penny stood the test of time. But as I got off, it was an experience I'll never forget. It was a euphoria of the senses, so to speak. But today, I want us to be able to go into another control center, the greatest control center of all time. Amen. All of us have access to this. The throne room, the control center of the universe. Us, here and now. A very present reality. Not future, present reality. We're in the book of Revelation. It means apocalypse. I love it for the, the up-and-coming generation because it's all about symbols and signs and numbers and songs and lots of art in it, lots of Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and, I don't know, maybe Matrix. Maybe one of you will write something that's yet to be had. But as we look into it, what do symbols and signs do? It's an ever-present reality that we can unlock. It's cryptid. We don't need crypto. We got the code. And the code is full of symbols. There's over 300 symbols of the Old Testament in here. So any Jewish person, actually, which I believe is yet to be unfold, hear me on this, those of you that study current times, I believe in due time the Jewish people are going to be able to read and understand this powerfully. Powerfully. I know the word of God 1% next to any Jewish Orthodox man. They memorize the stuff. So there's yet to be unlocked, but we have this opportunity to unlock it right now. So what do symbols do? They allow us to get by cultural barriers. That's brilliant. It allows us to withstand time because it doesn't matter if it's 100 AD or 2200. It also awakes emotion and gets excitement. Here's an example. 
Do I want to say a dictator? Or do I want to say the beast? Hmm. I don't know. It's got a bit of an edge. Do I want to say world government? Or do I want to say Babylon the Great? See, it's, it's an ever-present reality that we're going to dive into. And yes, we've decided that we weren't just going to stop. You're all like, are you going to keep going? Because so many pastors will stop, right, after the seven churches. But we've been praying, and we're going to jump in. So the only thing I ask of you is that we're holding it very humbly before the Lord. Roger and I are stretching ourselves. We're listening. We're choosing not to argue. Right? <laughs> right, baby? Baby, I never argue with you. <laughs> no, but we're holding it very, very um, humbly before Almighty God that it would be revealed to us. I think we're even here to package it out, but I actually believe it's going to come alive through us as a body because that's how the Lord wants to awaken his church. Every piece is necessary, and you'll see this as we get going through it. So when John's writing it, let's just re- remember where we're at. John... It's very important. He's on the island of Patmos, prison island. It's a marble island. He's there hopeless, the last disciple living. But he makes a choice in that prison. What does he do? And this is very relevant for us today. He makes a choice to worship the Lord in the spirit on the Lord's day. So in the middle of like, I've lost all my friends. Like, Lord, are you coming back? Are you coming back? Like the Caesar's destroying us all and I'm the last one standing. No, he's like not licking his wounds. He's looking up like, Lord, you're on the throne. You're my Lord and my Savior. I walked with you and I talked with you. And then the Lord enters into that place with him. And what's the first thing Jesus shows him? Himself. And John's undone. He thinks he's dead. He's on the ground. And what does Jesus do? Touches, touches, touches. I want our sensories to become awakened. Like the more you're into revelation, everything's going to be, it's a touch, feel, taste, smell. It's real. We don't need virtual reality. It's very, very real. Jesus touches him and says, don't fear. And then he starts to say, I want you to write these seven letters to the churches. And we ended with the seventh last week. And is that it? Is that it? (laughs) I want us to get ready, but when I say I want us to get ready, I want us to be open. I want us to dig in over the next couple weeks that the Lord may begin to really, really speak to us and teach us together. Okay, so with that attitude before Almighty God, let's just pray. Almighty Creator, God, the great I am. We're all coming from different spaces, but in this moment, in this place, on the Lord's Day, in the Spirit, we're choosing that you, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, would speak to us, each of us, as only the power of your word can do. So, Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, 
and a heart to understand. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. No, just a minute, babe. Amen. Amen. Yes, you learned that last week. See? Amen. I'll get an amen over here. I know it will. See? Two things. Two things that are really important that I want you to understand. The first is, I can see the food set out, so I'm probably going to talk quicker today than normal. <laughs> like, oh, get to the meal. No. Uh, the second is, Carrie and I are giving ourselves to understanding Revelation. Uh, we, we drove down to Vancouver for a couple days. You know what we did for the four hours there and the four hours back? We like delved into revelation what's happening is there a rapture when's the rapture happening what's going on we're like actually talking through all these things and you know at the end of it we sort of were thinking wow there's different possibilities and then carrie said i believe the lord's going to show us as we walk through Amen. the lord's just going to reveal what it is that that he wants us to know. So anyways, we're continuing our series in the book of Revelation, and we move from the letters to the churches to, to a story. It's the story of Jesus. And John, as Carrie said, is on the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and, and this vision of this open heaven starts. And so today we're delving in, we're beginning the two chapters of the Bible that I think are the greatest worship chapters in all of Scripture. So you might wonder, why did we only sing one song at the beginning? It was just open the eyes of my heart, because we want to see the Lord, which is what this chapter is all about. But we want to spend our time worshiping at the end, because I think this passage is going to prepare our hearts for worship and things are going to get a little weird apocalyptic literature you're going to see a lion an ox an eagle things get a little weird but i want you to know this as we go through this book the plain things are the main things and the main things are the plain things we don't have to be confused about the important things the important things are clear Maybe some of the unimportant things aren't quite as clear, but the plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. Get it? Okay. John's primary concern are not the how and the when, but it's the who that he's most concerned about. The who. This is why he's doing what he's doing. That's why he's writing this. And everything in the book of Revelation hinges on these next two chapters. So if I haven't set it up enough, let's go. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard first, speaking to me like a trumpet, that's the voice of Jesus, right? Like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So the first thing we see is this door. Now why is that important? It's important for this one reason. John's on earth, right? On earth we don't always get to see the reality of what's going on. 
what the real reality is, not the virtual reality, as Carrie said, but the spiritual reality of what's going on. And so there's this open door, and it's like for John, the veil's being pulled back. There's this veil that keeps us sometimes from seeing what's happening in the heavenly, this veil between heaven and earth. And Jesus opens this door and pulls back the veil, and this door is open into the into the presence of heaven. And Jesus calls to John, come up here, I want to show you something. Wow. Let that sink in. That's what we're walking into today. The spiritual realm lies right on top of where we are right now. Right now. What John's going to describe is going on right now. You can't see it with your eyes, but it's no less real. In fact, it's more real. So let's take a sensory evaluation here because I want it to enter into your own prayer life, okay? So there's a couple keys here, and you'll see it the same way. He says, after this, I looked. So John's writing the letter. Do you remember how it first happened with Jesus? Hear me on this. It's very significant. He heard a voice behind him at the beginning, and then he turned and saw Jesus and was undone, okay? Hear. He who has ears, let him hear. You have to hear first to see. Very important. Get in the word of God. You guys have been getting into the word of God. You got to hear him, hear him, hear him. So after he's done these seven letters, he knows that he's been dictating, he's been writing them down. And do you think John might be, John knew those churches. And the Lord's saying, repent. And you got some issues over here. Can you imagine John being like this evaluation, being like, oh my word. What's happening? And then all of a sudden, he looks like Jesus has gone quiet, or, oh, he sees the door. Now, the door is very significant because this is the only place that heaven talks about the door. Other times you see heaven opened. You see it a lot with Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah. But the door is very significant, especially at this time after this. The door opened. You know what it reminds me of? Matthew 6, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks, here's the promise to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Is John making a choice to press in despite a situation to see the Lord? To worship the Lord? Yes. Are we? Are we? Because that promise remains. And right after that, he's like, if, if your fathers know how to give you good gifts, do you not think the father knows how to give you greater gifts? But he evaluates the heart saying, hey, hey, so you, I want to keep pressing in. I don't want, hey, you, your little sister here will not stop asking. Like, I'm like, Roger, have we talked to God about it? Have we asked? So we're asking together more. But keep asking and asking, Lord, Lord, I want to see this. I, I want to see it for, for myself. So this door is opened. And what happens when he sees the door standing there? So it's up. Do you see this? Different levels. Come further in. Come up further. There's different levels to press in in our spiritual reality. A glory that begins to enhance in him. And he says he hears the voice the same way he heard it at the beginning, like a trumpet. That's significant. What do they tell you the voice of the trumpet sounds like? It's for two reasons in the Old Testament. To call the people to worship and to call them to battle. Huh. This is going to be so good. Like the Lord was showing me some stuff even this morning. I'm so excited. We'll get there. 
Um, he calls him with the trumpet. What does he say? Hear, hear those words. Come up here, and I will show you what will take place after this. Come up here. Hear me on this. Hear me. He's in the spirit. He's listening. He hears the voice, the voice that always says, come, the same voice that Jesus said to John and Andrew, come, and come. I'll, t- I'll show you where I'm staying. First call of discipleship. He knows that come, come. Come up here, and I'll show you. John has to make a choice in his mind, hear me, to go up. Do you see that? Don't fear. Something is going to transport him, and that's his will. My desire is to be obedient and to walk in without fear. And so he walks into this place, following the one that shows him, and says the next verse, and I just want to do these first couple words, at once. At once, I was in the Spirit. And you're like, but hang on. Wasn't he in the Spirit before? Wasn't he in the Spirit? Was he? Yes. So how, again, at once in the Spirit? And I want to propose this. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Glory to glory, ever-increasing glory. May that be the desire of our hearts. Jesus' voice is described as a trumpet. Some people think I have a loud voice. I just have a loud laugh. But I don't know if you know this, but I haven't shared this story for quite a long time, but the reason our church is called Westbound, you know why it's called Westbound? Had this vision as we were starting the church. Had this vision of the Lord taking Carrie in my hand and we were walking up a mountain. And as we were walking up the mountain, we walked around and around and around and each time we went around, we got higher and higher. And finally, when we got close to the top, the Lord touched me. And and I turned into like this, it's going to sound weird, but in Revelation, it gets weirder than this. I turned into like this golden herald, like with this trumpet. And then eventually he took Carrie and melded us together in... And, and then we like, were like this golden herald, and he said, now blow, now speak. That's why we named the church Westbound to begin with. And, and I didn't think this before, but I think it now. There was this time when the Lord brought Carrie and I together, and then it was time to blow. You know, Carrie and I never preached together until recently, until very recently. But I think now is the time The Lord wants to speak something to his church because I think we're coming into a new season. I believe that's why the Lord called us to start Westmount. It's for this time now. It's for this season. I believe that with all my heart. I wasn't planning on saying that, but back to Revelation. So the vision John saw. We see this throne, first of all, in the vision. We see the one who's on the throne And then we receive the response of those who are around the throne. Remember in chapter 1, we got the picture of Jesus, right? Now we get a picture of the Father. 
verses 2 to 6. At once I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne there were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass. Clear as crystal. We see the throne first, right? Now, we don't really get this because we don't live in the time of kings and kingdoms, but they, they got that. A throne was a, a seat of power, right? A throne was a seat of authority. And if this picture doesn't inspire peace in your heart, you're not understanding the picture. There's an ultimate throne in heaven. Right now, if the Lord were to peel back the veil, if he were to open the door that there's this throne that governs everything in creation. And this is, there's a God who's sitting on the throne, and that's the ultimate reality that we, we live in, that we're invited into right now. You know, in The Matrix, I don't know how many of you saw that movie, they have that new version, Matrix Revolution. Haven't seen it yet. But there's a reality in Matrix. I think even the world, even those who aren't Christians understand this, right? In the story of the Matrix, he's invited to go into what's real. There's something more real beyond reality. And it's like, take the red pill or the blue pill. Andrew, which one's the red pill? I can't remember. Do you remember? Sorry, I put you on the spot. The red pill's reality. If you want to see the true reality, take the red pill. If not, take the blue pill. You'll just wake up. Nothing will be different. I think even people who aren't Christians understand that there's a reality beyond this reality. And when we spend time as a body in worship and prayer, when we spend time as individuals in worship and prayer, that's the closest we get to the reality that's true reality, right? That's what brings us into that, into that place where there's one single, eternal, timeless throne. One throne. The ultimate throne. Now, whether that throne is good or bad, all depends on the one who's sitting on the throne, right? Whether the authority is good or bad, all depends on the character of the one who sits on the throne. This is ultimate authority. At the beginning of the book of Revelation... At the beginning of the unveiling of the end times, at the beginning of talking about tribulation that's to come, talking about the beast, talking about the number of the beast, talking about all these things as we, as we before we enter into all that, what's the picture that Jesus wants us to see? Yes. That there's one who's in control. Yes. 
Despite everything that happens, despite everything that goes on, there's one who's in control, and he is good. And he loves you. He's sovereign over everything. Do you see that? You see why he starts with this picture of, of who the one is? I think that has to bring us to a place of peace, right? When we understand that God is good, that God loves us, and that God is on the throne, when we understand that, everything else in our life can be at peace. It's when we get our sight elsewhere, when we begin to look at other things, that's when we get off track. Throne, the most dominant symbol in all of Revelation. There's one other symbol that will match it, and we will see it next week. It's the Lamb. Those two take front and center in the entire book. So it's not by accident that John says, I was in the Spirit, and the first thing he sees is the throne. And then the one sitting on it. And that's what he'll refer to for the remainder of Revelation. The throne and the one who sits on it. Now let's get a picture because this will help you in your prayer time. This will help you this week in your situations. See the throne first. And it's not like Isaiah, like, woe is me, I'm on the ground. Why? Because someone seemed to have invited him in. Oh, it's a very different picture. And we'll get to that a bit more next week. But in this moment, I'm going to choose to see the throne and the one sitting on the throne. So is the one sitting on the throne rising? Is he pacing? Is he fearful? Is he anxious? Is he worried? Is he shocked? No, he's sitting on the throne. That will be his posture the entire time. Let that be stamped in your heart. Changes everything. So you don't see sin and you don't see fear and you don't see death storming into his sphere. No, John just told you this is the holy of holies. And John's having, he's dazzled. He's, he, how do you describe this? How do I describe it? Well, he, he's overwhelmed by the light. Wherever God is, there's light. Another thing to know. Sitting on his throne, always light. How many kids are afraid of dark? Bring him back to God on his throne. Light, lots of light. See the light? From him, light. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all, First John says. At all. So this light, he's like, it's, it's ruby and it's jasper. Well, that's kind of an interesting mix, isn't it? No, because the high priest will wear an ephod with 12 gems. We might call them birthstones or however we want to do it. But the first one is Reuben, tribe of Reuben. The last one is Benjamin. Do you know what those two stones are? Any guesses? It's so amazing. God is so vast. He's so wise. He's so like, uh, 
first and last, Ruby, Jasper. Wow. And so that light, that picture of light, remember the psalmist David will write in Psalm 104, praise the Lord, O my soul, carry mind, will, emotions. This is a good prayer for me. Praise the Lord, my soul. God, you're very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. What are you wearing today? Who are you wearing? Dior? Gucci? I'm displaying the light of heaven. Okay, sorry. Just just a minute. Just a minute. No, just a sec. But hear me on this, because this is a really... I want some foundation. This is a foundational piece. It's changed my life, and I pray it changes yours. Paul says to Timothy that he says, um, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in inapproachable light. That's how Paul's describing him to the next generation. That's your God, Timothy. And so when we're looking at these gems, these colors, remember there's a rainbow around him, okay? So get this. Rainbow is a circle. You all know that, I'm sure. But we only see in part. That's a great symbolism. We only see part of the rainbow. Sometimes we'll see a full rainbow. The rainbow is always circular, always. Wow. And this is all around his throne, So you can imagine entering. It's not the car wash where it all changes colors as you're going in. No, you enter into that space when you worship, when you choose to pray, when you choose to sing, when you choose to be like, Lord, you're my sovereign, you're my ruler, you're my leader. And you enter into that spot with him through that rainbow. You know what that rainbow represents? The faithful, 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 unending faithfulness of God. His merciful justice. And this just mercy, where was that seen? In Noah, with the flood. The flood. And this rainbow comes around with the faithful promises that I'll never destroy the world again with the flood. And that's the promise that he says. And one more thing, and I know that I'm entering into Rogers, but just let me put it in there. You go. Wow. the sea how it's crystal in that sphere the sea represents the chaos the sea's an image because it's going to be done away with by the end of revelation hear me on this because the chaos is all around the world and the lord says the sea before him is glass crystal Wow. Wow. And so you need to choose to get out of the chaotic sea of humanity and all their never-ending chaos and move myself into the peaceful dwelling where even the sea is like glass before my God. And when I'm in that spot, I don't want to be moved. And you know what it reminds me of? Jesus. There's a storm going on. And where is he? He's under the steer, sleeping on the cushion. 
Do you remember? I wonder if he had his prayer time and just communed by the glass sea and just fell asleep. I wonder. He knows his father. He knows his home. He knows, I just want to be there, falls asleep. And the disciples, you and I are waking up and saying, Lord, don't you care? We're going to die out here. Whoa. And he stills the storm. He stills it. Terry was talking about how the Father is light. Light, right? The sun, moon, and the stars, are they eternal? No, at the end of the book of Revelation, who provides the light for the new Jerusalem? Father and the Son, right? Provide the light. Even as we were praying, pre-service prayer, we were praying and and one of us got a picture. And it was just, you know, of those old um, Ford trucks, you know what I mean? Like the pickup trucks with those round headlights. And imagine it driving on a completely dark night and the headlights would only shine right in front of the truck. So, so you could only see right in front of the truck. Everything we see in the book of Revelation is what the Father chooses to reveal to us. It's like a spotlight. He's showing this, showing this, showing this. Should I show this? Remember he was saying to Abraham? No, he was saying to some of the uh, heavenly host before he spoke to Abraham, should I tell Abraham what I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, I should. I should share that with him. If we stay with God, he's going to continue to reveal where we need to go. He's going to continue to reveal what's next. But we need to be with him because he is light, right? And so around the throne, there's 24 other thrones, 24 smaller thrones, if you are, and 24 elders sitting on those 24 thrones. They're dressed in white with crowns of gold. So who are these elders? Who are they? Because whoever they are, he's sharing his rule with these 24 elders, right? He's sharing his rule with them. Isn't it beautiful that he also shares his rule with us? That we're going to be dressed in white and have crowns on our head and are going to rule with him? That he shares his authority? Part of the character of God is that he's so generous. He's not like it's all about me. He's not like this myopic dictator, right? He shares his rule and his reign. So beautiful. Who are the elders? I think there's two options. One is that, that they're actual people, 12 representing the full tribes of Israel and 12 representing the 12 apostles and together it's 24. Another view is that they're a higher order of heavenly being, like a high order of the heavenly creatures. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. Um, But he's sharing his rule and his reign. And as he's doing this, there's flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. Now that's an important phrase. We're going to see that over and over again in the book of Revelation. Flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, or rumbling of thunder. 
Just so you know, Roger has been hit by lightning twice. True story, I have been hit by lightning twice in my life. So I know the power of lightning. What does the lightning represent around the throne? I believe this. I believe the lightning and the thunder around the throne represent the justice of God. The justice of God. Now, why do I say that? Because as he opens the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, as he opens each of those, which are the judgments that are going to come on the earth, every time it says that same phrase again, flashes of lightning, rumblings of thunder. It's the justice of God. It's who he is. We want justice, don't we? I mean, we want real justice, not the justice that, that sometimes seems so incomplete that we see on the earth. Uh, justice sort of drives us. How many of you are keeping up with what's happening in Ukraine? With Zelensky. Doesn't, doesn't he make you want to follow him? Like he inspires us. But he's Jewish. <laughs> Carrie knows like every Jewish person no, on the planet. That's not true. I just think it's interesting. Um, but we want justice for Ukraine, don't we? We want justice. There's something that cries out for us. We want real justice. Real justice resides with the one on the throne. And it's perfect justice. And in front of him are these seven flaming lamps. We know when Carrie and I were just in Hawaii. One of the things you see all over Hawaii are these like flaming torches, right? Like fire's a big theme in Hawaii. But fire's also a theme around the throne. Why? Because things are revealed by fire. Impurities are taken out by fire. And these seven torches if you will, that are in front of the throne are the seven spirits of God, which we've talked about before, which represent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is like this fire that penetrates and it, it purifies his people. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives does that same work, that it's purifying us, that it's making more, us more Christ-like, that it's making us more beautiful, Carrie already talked about the sea of glass, so I won't go into that. Instead, let's go on. Verses 6 to 8. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night. Even right now. Day and night. They never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You know, as we were praying, Duncan had this vision that they're not just saying like, holy, holy, holy. They're saying holy, holy, like in awe of who the Father is. Holy, holy, he's awesome. Day and night, they never stop saying it. Holy, holy, 
holy. It just keeps going on, this refrain. And that's the response that, that, that everything around the Father has to who the Father is. It's his awesomeness. And it's a refrain that's being spoken not just by these heavenly creatures, which remind us almost exactly of, of the creatures that are revealed in the book of Ezekiel, the prophetic book of Ezekiel, but also it, it represents creation itself, right? Why these four creatures? The mightiest among the birds is what? The eagle. The mightiest among the domestic animals is the ox. The mightiest among the wild animals is the lion. And the mightiest among them all, the pinnacle of creation, is man. All of creation. Creation worships. The next chapter, next week, we're going to read these words that uh, the, the sky and the sea and everything in them, everything over the earth and under the earth and all that are in them, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You know, Jesus, when he's walking down uh, the Mount of Olives and he's coming to Jerusalem and, and the people are worshiping him, right? They're worshiping him. And, and, and uh, the Jewish priests, they come up and say, stop them. They shouldn't be worshiping you like that. And Jesus says, what? If you stop them, even rocks will cry out. Even creation's going to worship. Isaiah 55 talks about the mountains and the hills break forth into singing and the trees will what? They clap their hands. That all of creation experiences the awesomeness of the one who sits on the throne. All of creation. Creation knows their creator. They're not deceived the same way. They know who provides for them. And what intrigues me about this picture is the eyes. I'm like, oh, the eyes. Think about how much strength is given in eye contact. You have a good fighter that looks over at the coach, can barely take, looks at his coach. There's strength and power. Well, all these eyes over each of these, these creatures of mighty strength are looking at God and, and back and forth. And I was thinking about this, and I'm like, Oh, this is so good. And, and, and let me make this even more real to us, a very tangible piece as a body right now. Do we have eyes that the Lord might want to, look, to use me to comfort someone else? To encourage someone else? To strengthen somebody else? Yes. Because it was four years ago when we would go through a really, really hard accident and I would step up after August 3rd, which was close to August 16th, and I would give a sermon on my own. And my eyes were full of tears for those of you that were there. And though I knew one of you, the Lord would open up one of your heart to love me differently from that moment forward. She put together that she'd lost a child as well, almost to the date of my birth date which was going to be August 16th. And she put her arms around me, and she loved me with tears, and her husband witnessed it. And from that moment forward, she's been part of our group. And the power of Scripture, it gets better. Here's revelation for you, really revelation. She doesn't need to give me gifts. She doesn't give me gifts on my birthday, but from that day forward, she chose to give me a verse every year. 
And this year on August 16th, she would give me a verse and she's gotten it a little bit better where she wants to add a picture to it now. She's getting fancy. But it reminded me, intrigued me of the eye. And I thought of this verse and I pulled it out. The power of written word to encourage one another. Are we encouraging each other? Because I might have forgot it or I might not have seen it, but it's extra powerful to me this week at this time, right now for our church. It's got me fueled out of everything else. And she might not even remember what's on it. She'll remember the verse, but maybe not the picture. The verse is this. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That's the verse she prays over me. The eyes of the Lord roam the earth through his creation to see how he can strengthen and support. The picture is a lion and a lamb. This is why I want us to be more dialed in than we've ever been, that we become a power tank of prophetic words that are spoken from the mouth of God, that we see through the eyes of God, that we hear what he wants to hear, and we allow the stillness of the sea to calm us when the world cries, chaos, chaos. I'll read the last couple verses. We'll close. Whenever the living creatures give glory honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever they lay their crowns before the throne and they say you are worthy our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So the elders here remember how we went through the churches, and the Lord said to those who overcome, to each of us who overcome, you'll be given certain things. John's witnessing this right here. White garments, ruling and reigning. The last church, you'll rule and reign with me. He's realizing this. And crowns, this was all the promise that he'd give to those of us that overcome. He's seeing it here. But the 24 not only represents tribes, the 12, and the 12 apostles, but keep in mind those names are on the gates of a city that's yet to be built for us. And the foundations are the 12 names of the apostles with the beautiful gems. And everything seems to come together 24 Oh, it gets better. So that seems to be ruling. That rep rem represents old and new coming together. Hear me. Unity. Timeless unity. But also in 1 Chronicles 24 and 25, King David, who was a great warrior, a great king, and a great worship leader, will give 24 divisions for priests in the tribe of Levi, and musicians. And you can read it in First Chronicles 24 and 25. 24 of them, divisions. And you know what he says specifically? You know how he does that? He allocates them. 
King David with the commanders of the army. Oh, this is good. Hear, hear me. The commanders of the army are doing the worship in the temple. Yeah, they're saying it doesn't matter how young you are, you'll all be unified. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or student. Come together. Because at the beginning of John, he said to my faithful brothers and sisters, we're kings in a kingdom and priests to rule for our God. We've got a governance here on earth through a priestly division. And so how does that come together? Perhaps, perhaps our battles are won through worship. I'm hearing a song. I'm hearing, my, I'm hearing tons of songs come out of you guys right now. But do you see that? Because it's all going to go together. The ruling and reigning comes when I worship in song and my spirit starts to do something about who he is. And then it brings me down to rule and reign in a kingly reign. Let's personalize it just a little bit. You know, there's this big worship service that, that John's seeing in heaven. And everyone who sees God has the same response. It's not hard work for them. They don't have to work at the response. The response just comes naturally when they see the Father for who he is. It's the response to seeing truth. Um, I want to say that that worship is also what brings us peace in the middle of our difficult circumstances. The sovereignty of God, the rule of God, the reign of God. How do we appropriate that in our lives? Worship. You know, Carrie was talking about our accident. And um, just like three and a half years ago. And, and I was in a lot of pain for a long time. I was on a lot of drugs. They were good drugs. Uh, but they didn't cover up the pain. They dulled it, but they didn't cover the pain. And I remember having these thoughts. If it's going to be like this for the rest of my life, I'm not sure I want to live. Just honest, honest thought. And the Lord gave me this worship song that I listened to and bawled to over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Over and over I began to worship and fill my heart with worship. And as I filled my heart with worship, everything else in my life began to make sense. It's okay, my circumstances didn't change. But they were brought under the rule and authority of the Father who loves me and who is going to care for me. You see how everything gets put in perspective when we understand the rule and reign and the goodness of God. And I want to encourage you that no matter where you are today, no matter where you find yourself, I want you to spend yourself in worship. Because it's in that place that you're going to find everything come into its proper order. Everything come into its proper alignment. And chaos suddenly in worship becomes peace. And pain becomes something beautiful.
And uncertainty becomes faith because we see him for who he is. You see that phrase in verse 11 that the elders say, to God they give glory and honor and thanks. Look at that line, for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Do you see that? Because you know what happens when you enter through the door of truth? You begin to rediscover that you're not an accident. Right, right there, look at that. That you're created by Almighty God and that his will, his desire is that you would live and have your being. That's his desire right now. You're not a cosmic accident and you have purpose uniquely designed for this time. You know what song that reminds me of? I Know Who I Am. How many of you listen to that song? Like, there's purpose in it. Sing it over and over again because God's created me to be who he wants me to be, not someone else. So do you see what I see with the elders? I don't see competing or judging or comparing or gossiping or jockeying for position. No, the living creatures inspire them to what? Get down. They're leading us into worship and take their crown off before the, the one who deserves it all. Like, how can we even stand next to all this? John's in euphoria in that moment. And so worship isn't singing. Get that out of your mind. Worship is what we're giving our attention to. Worship doesn't start when you get in here. Worship is ongoing all the time. It's like this revolving door. If you can just get in and swoop up, transport you right up into the throne room as we get into that. But don't think of yourself like, uh, worship wasn't that great today. Let's stop that right now. Let's stop it in this place. I don't want to hear it. I don't. I'm just telling you. It's sinful before Almighty God. Hear me on that. Because that's a narcissistic attitude that the world says, you got to perform. Worship is going on around the throne. We have the opportunity. And you know what I want to start saying? Did you enter in? Did you enter in to the worship that's already going on? It's not going to stop because it's not about us. It's about him. And what a privilege that we can enter into the most amazing of all time, of all time, at any given moment, in my car, at my job, on a walk I'm entering in. Oh, I want us to just close our eyes for a moment. I want just want us all individually to reset around that throne. That throne's not moving. We need to move our posture, our heart, our pride off of these little baby thrones. And come in in spirit and truth to an access that's provided with an open door to Philadelphia. I open a door before you. What I open, nobody can shut. Jesus says to the church who has ears to let him hear. He's speaking this to us. To us. 
that we would join in in unity and see him in the fullness of all light and glory, that we would give him honor and praise and adoration, for he has created all things, and by his desire, beloved, we have our being. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, may you receive our praise and our adoration in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat>